G'day, welcome to Lunch Money. Uh, my name is Nick Samios. I am the Director and Fund Manager here at Hermes Capital, and I am your Lunch Money live stream and podcast host. Uh, so a very warm welcome to you. Um, today, we are going to, I've got uh, Mark Robinson on. Mark Robinson's an insolvency and business uh, restructuring specialist. And we're going to be talking at, uh, about some of the latest data to come out of the RBA. We're going to be talking about some of the latest insolvency statistics. And, and we're going to do all of that so that we can give some context to our real discussion, the real meat on the bones, which is going to be uh, a talk around with the eastern, uh, certainly the, the southeast corner of Australia is going to be opening up soon um, and and that means that the uh, the training wheels the guardrails that the government's been providing are going to come off so uh, what should small and medium-sized businesses be thinking what are the big decisions and the big questions and the big traps and pitfalls they should be looking out for that's what we're going to be discussing with uh, Mark Robinson uh, before we get to Mark I would like to start off by saying our sponsor for today's podcast is Hermes Capital. Hermes Capital is an investment fund that has been providing loans to SMEs in outside-the-box situations for over 10 years. Hermes was born in the GSC and knows its way around troubled landscapes. Contact Hermes for bespoke non-bank solutions to your capital raising needs. Okay, now without further ado, I'm going to introduce Mark Robinson. Anything exciting? Um, oh, look, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, what everybody's excited about is uh, potentially early winding back of the, uh, the lockdown uh, and, you know, particular flow on into people's personal lives. And, uh, you know, that, that impact on the business side is obviously going to be heavily felt, uh, you know, within the hospitality, restaurants, retail side of things. So I think that's, uh, uh, that's the subject of excitement at the moment. Now, of course, one of the problems with having you is I think this is the third time that you've been on our show. And, of course, I've known you many years. So uh, I sort of forget sometimes to formally introduce you because not uh, all of our guests have watched all of our shows. So Mark Robinson is an insolvency and corporate restructuring and personal bankruptcy specialist. He is a partner at the uh, insolvency and uh, business turnaround firm DVT Group uh here in sydney and so uh, i guess that's why he's uh, so keen to to get out of lockdown um now mark let's why don't we just get straight into it we'll get straight into uh, our material and we're going to start off by asking you uh what exactly is going to change you know we've got a graphic for that mm. here we go yeah yeah, look, uh, yeah, a number, you know, obviously, uh, as uh, the lockdown winds back, um, you know, a number of the government support measures, both state and federal, uh, are going to wind back. Uh, one of the key ones here in New South Wales is JobSaver, which was a federal scheme, but then uh, uh, to, uh, to enable it to continue on a bit uh, for a bit longer period, the New South Wales government stepped into the into the breach. Um, and that's been a, a, you know, a major uh help in terms of boosting uh, cash flow, particularly for SME businesses. Um, but that's uh, that's been wound back. Uh, as of today, it's it's wound back uh, from a 40% share of weekly payroll to 30% um, as we hit 80% uh, double-dose vaccination. Uh, it'll wind back uh, to 15% share of weekly payroll. Wound back, you know, various other uh, support measures such as uh, the regime under which uh, landlords are meant to abide by. Um, that's being wound wound back as well. Uh, uh, you know, those special provisions there in terms of abatement and delay of rent. 
that'll all, all be wrapped up uh, uh, by uh, early to mid uh, January, um, and uh, you know, and a colliery of other you know support measures are, are being wound back, including financiers you know wanting to bring um, you know uh, their outstanding loans back into terms. Uh, and so that's 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 what's happening at the moment is the wind back of support uh, in anticipation of. Um, you know, businesses being able to get back on their feet as the, the lockdown restrictions ease. Now, uh, I, I know that one thing, you know, I, I don't know, I'm sure you look at lots of financial statements, obviously, being being an accountant amongst other things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has been interesting to see how many sets of 2021, you know, June 30, 2021 20, accounts, you look at the profit and loss statement mm. and you look at the the line item for uh, for JobKeeper uh, slash job, uh, JobSaver, and you go, well, what happens if you take that number out? Uh, and a lot of companies do end up in the red. Um, so there's no doubt that it's, it's kept a lot of businesses afloat. Yeah, look, it's it's around a timing difference, basically, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, we're hoping as these support measures wind back, you know, revenue increases as a consequence of the lockdown restrictions easing. Um, you know, uh, let, let's hope, uh, you know, for most businesses, revenue comes back quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to uh, plug the hole uh, that that support uh, uh, of that withdrawn support. Uh, you know, obviously issues will arise for those businesses where, you know, revenue stroke cash flow, and more particularly cash flow, if that's slow to come back, that'll place uh, many, many businesses, particularly SMEs, in a spot of bother. All right, look, we've got lots of charts to get through before we get to our discussion. So just the next one is something I saw on LinkedIn yesterday uh, from, um, and this is courtesy of Patrick Schweitzer um, at Alares, and I did ring Patrick yesterday and asked him for permission to use this, although he did broadcast it on uh, on LinkedIn. But they, they Alares, I don't know if you subscribe to them, Mark, but they provide some fantastic data. It certainly suggests that you friend Patrick on LinkedIn so you get these updates. But these are the winding up applications um, uh, initiated by the ATO and non-ATO. Um, and you can see the ATO is in blue there. So hysterically, the a- hysterically, <laughs> it is hysterical. <laughs> it's a Freudian slip there. Historically, uh, the ATO uh, is behind a lot of the winding up actions against, uh, against companies. Um, but as you can see, really, since this whole pandemic has started, uh, a the winding up applications have dropped away. Uh, they sort of started to make a bit of a comeback uh, earlier this year, but then uh, lost a bit of interest once we went into lockdown 2.0. But the ATO has gone, and um, you know we were you were talking before in that first graphic when you were talking about uh, those uh, job saver um, coming off, those measures coming off. The, the support that nobody except people like you and I talk about is the uh, the tacit support of the ATO. Mm. in not doing any sort of enforcement activity whatsoever. Yeah, a- absolutely. And uh, and as we discussed earlier, you know, the real uh, vital statistic to monitor from the ATO is what they deem to be their collectible debt. Uh, and as we discussed before, they're, they're due to uh, announce uh, where, where, where that balance currently sits. I, I think we all expect uh, that to have significantly increased. Um, and so the big question is, is you know, is basically when is the ATO going to uh, take some positive, uh, proactive steps in in uh, in reducing its uh, level of uh, an increasing level of collectible collectible debt? Uh, you know, that mixed in with uh, you know federal politics and timing of elections, etc., and the ATO not wanting to be 
you know, uh, political football. It's going to be very interesting around the timing of when the ATO steps uh, steps back into the market and tries to collect uh, its collectible debt. Well, if, if we can just flick back to that slide of Patrick's. Um, I was chatting with Patrick, and and by the way, we'll put a link in uh, in the in the show notes. We'll put a link uh, to the uh, to the report that, that Patrick put on LinkedIn. So just again, a special thank you to Patrick. Um, now there was an article in the Broker magazine, um, and there was a lot of excitement this week, both as you can see amongst finance brokers, uh, but also uh, you know people uh, in corporate restructuring. The ATO uh, a while ago. Uh, was given the power to uh, list companies that were in default, if you like, or in arrears on their tax, to list them list them uh, on the credit reports. Um, and a lot of people thought, well, firstly, that means if, if you're going to get listed, then people are certainly going to be more proactive about dealing with the ATO rather than have you know their credit file blotted by an ATO listing. Um, and you know, th and then there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, that's that's tough on the you know the ATO. That's tough on business." But on the other hand, if I'm if I'm a if, if I'm supplying a builder with timber, I'm a timber wholesaler. I'm supplying a, a builder with timber, uh, and the ATO is sitting on a mountain of tax arrears. You know, it might be nice for the ATO to do some reporting. But my my feeling, the thing about this is, it's only if you're over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And it's only if you don't engage. So if you don't return right. the ATO's phone call for three months, okay. But otherwise, I don't really think this is a big deal. What do you think, Mark? Look, I, I, I tend to agree with you. That's certainly one uh, piece of advice that we give as advisors uh, to uh, debtors is to communicate with the ATO, uh, uh, um, you know, just in terms of your current situation, but then also in terms of things such as repayment plans, if they're viable, et cetera. The ATO in the current environment, as long as you're doing that communication piece uh, and being transparent, is more often than not willing to sit back. Uh, I agree with your comments there. Okay. Um, now, just just a reminder, uh, if we get three good questions today from our live viewers or live listeners, it has to be three. If we get three good questions, then we have a special prize this week, and that special prize oh. is a signed uh, copy of two books uh, from uh, a speaker that we had a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mike House, and he's got two books. One's called Unshakable and one's called Thrive and Adapt. So if we get three questions, uh, then uh, we'll let Mark choose what the best question was to give away uh, those two books. Uh, we do also have to all questions, we'll also receive our mug as usual and uh, we've got people back in the office next week so we'll be able to start sending our backlog of mugs out okay so again to set the scene um we've just go to our next slide which is what we all know you and i certainly know mark is this decline obviously in in external administrations there's not a lot of formal restructuring work around again it started to make a bit of a comeback earlier this year but then when you know when delta came along it started to uh to yeah. drop away and obviously, I'd say that you could concur with that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, you know, and basically, the two drivers of that are, you know, less creditor uh, pressure, uh, coupled with the further support. But but then also, creditors are are now more generally, you know, open to informal arrangements, um, which you know won't obviously reflect themselves in external administrations. I guess though, informal arrangements are dangerous, though, aren't they? 
look, the problem is is bind if you've got more than uh, just if you've got more than a handful of stakeholders um, is, is being able to bind all of them at the same time. Uh, you know, if you can only bind a couple of them and uh, and a few of them uh, you can't bind and and they you know commence winding up proceedings against you, for example, well, you, you you're just throwing good money after bad. So yeah, the advantage of formal um, appointments is that it binds everyone. It's interesting, you know. I'm seeing. Uh, I don't know whether it's just because where I'm looking, but I'm sort of. I am seeing more no, more activity in WA. Maybe because you know, when you speak to WA people, they're living normal life practically, except for the fact they don't have the likes of me coming to visit them. Uh, and I just wonder because their life is sort of as normal as possibly could be, they are seeing more of this kind of activity. Look, we're just going to walk through some slides from the latest RBA chart pack. Um, and we can just any any. I'll just ask you to comment if you think need be. The big the big talk at the moment is inflation. Now neither of us are economists, so you're not getting uh, economist perspectives on this. What you're getting is battle hardened views from the trenches of real life people here. So um, now the trouble is uh, if there people have been denying that there's inflation, but I mean we're seeing it every day. It is pernicious when it comes to company profits. Uh, mm. I guess when you it, it leads to asset price inflation. Um, which I guess can help you in recoveries, and it might also help in borrowing power. Any comments on inflation? Oh, oh look, it's uh, you know from an accounts perspective, it's all about the ability to pass on um, you know those price rises due to inflation to your customer base. Uh, again, it's a timing difference. If you can't manage that timing difference and and plug any gap cash flow wise that arises, you know you, you could get yourself into a bit of trouble. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a it's your ability to pass on those rising costs to your customer base. Well, of course, the other thing is that your customers are people that go shopping and then get, because they're going shopping and, and buying goods for higher prices, they, they want higher salaries and then you get wage pressure and then you, I guess you could end up with a bit, of, uh, a bit of stagflation if the economy doesn't rebound. But, okay, let's go to our next slide, uh, which is GDP. I mean, you know, the G GDP has been, you know, that we, we've... We, had a technical recession. There's talk that we might have another technical recession. Uh, on the other hand, there's a lot of talk of revenge spending. As soon as the shops open up, you're going to get uh, trampled in the stampede. What's interesting is, I'm not an economist, so I don't really know exactly how to interpret these numbers, but we do have a graph of the factors contributing to GDP. Consumption is the one that's knocking it out of the park there. If it wasn't for strong consumption, I guess people sitting at home and ordering stuff online, you'd have to wonder where we are. Exactly right. Um, uh, yeah, if, if 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 for whatever reason consumer confidence is uh, not uh, not for six, um, where uh, you know things aren't looking good. Yeah. Okay. Let's again. We won't dwell too much on all of these. All we're trying to do here is to paint a picture for uh, for, for for where we're at in terms of small business. So the next one. Now, what's interesting here is the next graph shows private dwelling investment, and you know you can see there that. Uh, you know, it fell away in recent years, but lately, the last, you know, 18 months, private dwelling investment's been through the roof. It's counterintuitive, I guess, sitting here. If you were in March of last year, you would have mm. thought that house prices would collapse. But, of course, well, you know, when you're in an environment of practically zero interest rates, lots of money about the place, these property prices have gone through the roof, I guess, which means people's ability to borrow against those properties have uh, obviated the need for them to restructure their businesses, would you say, Mark? Oh, well, particularly in the SME space, um, yeah, where you know your, your property, your, your residence is quite often a significant form of uh, security. 
Um, and look, if that's if that's uh, looking solid uh, in terms of a form of security, it, it gives financiers comfort uh, that they've got coverage at the end of the day. So, yeah, it reduces uh, uh, there being uh, the prospect of there being a trigger point uh, to affect a recovery. Okay, look, let's just skip through the rest of these. The next one, you know, just so bear in mind that private investment's been solid in the property, but then when you look at business investment, it's been uh, well, it's been certainly tapering down over recent years, but it hasn't uh, hasn't been doing well of late. Uh, investment in machinery and equipment's ticked up a little bit recently, um, but overall investment's been down. Uh, our next slide shows uh, lending to business, um, which has been trending up a little bit in SME, in, sorry, in medium and large businesses, but it's pretty much been flatlining uh, for SMEs. Yeah. Uh, comment there, Mark? Yeah, look, uh, and, and certainly the federal government's identified that, you know, lending into SMEs flatlined a bit. So there is a, you know, a good support scheme that is still available, uh, being the SME loan recovery scheme, um, you know, to which SMEs uh, can borrow up to, you know, uh, you know five million bucks uh, over 10 years with uh, some pretty uh, nice sort of um, repayment holidays uh, sort of mapped in there at a reasonable interest rate because the uh, federal government uh, guarantees 80% of the funds that go out the door. Um, uh, and so, you know, certainly Treasury has identified that, uh, you know, lack of uh, lending uh, into SME as being an issue and is actively encouraging them. Look, I, I actually have a problem with that. I mean, firstly, that scheme's not working. It's about as successful as the small business restructuring's been, and I, I'm not going to put up the small business restructuring statistics because all you'd have is a chart and you'd have to try and find where the numbers are on it. Um, but my, my mail, and we've talked about this before on Lunch Money, my mail is the banks don't like it uh, because they're still on the hook for 20%. And, you know, there's just not that much demand for credit, which we'll come to in another slide. So you can see this one here. You've got, you can, this shows growth in broad money. Now, this slide was first shown to me, uh, I think, by Martin North. He loves this one. Um, you can see broad money, which is effectively the money supply, has been growing. It certainly kicked up strongly last year. It's still been growing this year. But the demand for credit hasn't matched it. So the demand for credit, yes, it's kicked up uh, this year. But it hasn't, so the demand for credit has not kicked up as much as the creation of money. Uh, and as a result, you've got pools and pools of cash about the place. Um, and, you know, so we're not seeing, the, the demand for money is, is, is anemic and there's plenty of money around. Now, to me, uh, that has the makings of, of, uh, of trouble. You know, there's a lot of money. You know, it means that people, their investment criteria get lower and lower and lower. But who knows? I could be wrong. We're, the proof's not in the pudding of the eating as yet. Next slide. And you can see where all the money came from here. You've got the Reserve Bank's balance sheet. And, uh, you know, it's staggering. It's practically doubled. And uh, that's been through bond buying, which I guess is no mm -hmm. surprise. Um, we'll keep going because I want to get through these. Uh, and then you've got this chart, which I've shown before, which uh, is the latest chart of banks' non-performing assets. And again, uh, you know, that yet yeah, they ticked up during the GFC, but ever since then, non-performing assets have been flat. So I think to some extent, a lot of non-performing assets have been have migrated from bank balance sheets to non-bank lenders. But any other thoughts on that, Mark? Does that surprise you or? No, it, it doesn't. There's a lot of, uh, you know, supporting a comment that there's a lot of private money um, out there. They're probably not pricing risk 
uh, appropriately. Um, and so, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're plugging a lot of holes at the moment. Okay. All right. Now, so, you know, we've, we've painted a picture there. Obviously, there's a lot of businesses. There's corporate restructuring activity has been down, which means there's a lot of businesses there. Uh, what you've called um, but for COVID, well, but for COVID viable. So just explain. That's a nice little term. What, what do you mean by but for COVID viable? Um, well, your, your classic but for COVID viable businesses, your, your retail or hospitality uh, uh, business uh, that, you know, is uh, absolutely being um, impacted by COVID in terms of, uh, uh, you know, lack of, lack of revenue, uh, un, uh, inability to perform uh, business and, uh, and uh, you know, and uh, also an inability to control some overheads that have got to continue uh, during COVID. But uh, nonetheless, um, if it wasn't for COVID and if the uh, uh, business factors returned to normal, um, the core business would be viable. Okay, so uh, yeah, so if it was so if it wasn't for COVID, they'd be mm -hmm. viable. Uh, mm -hmm. But COVID's come along and blown mm -hmm. a hole in them one way or another. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess those businesses have another a number of options. I mean, one of the options is to hang in there. One of the yes. options is to is to is to close. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess another option is to be proactive about the, mm -hmm. about the whole thing. Wow. So uh, let's look at the the shelter in place um, option first. The hang in there. Um, you know, if you have have you got a didgeridoo in the background? There's something. No, I, I, unfortunately, uh, a neighbour that's about uh, two floors below me has just decided to start up a jackhammer. So. Oh, okay, nice, <laughs> very nice. Okay, good timing. Uh, it's not probably... not my stomach; it's a jackhammer. Okay, it's probably one of your competitors or one of our competitors. So uh, <laughs> nicely played, whoever you are. Um, yeah, so hang in there, like just shelter in place and hope for the best. Uh, mm. Close the business and just walk away. Um, or thrive. Now, the reason I've got the close uh, option there is uh, I saw a LinkedIn post, uh, and actually I saw on the ABC's The Drum, Angela Vafulkas. Uh, Angela is the, um, uh, is a, she's a councillor on Sydney City Council, amongst other things. She's also an SME uh, advocate, and she said she's done some research that says 39% of small businesses believe they will never recover. From this uh, from this pandemic, so 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 hang in there. What 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 are the you know when when is it a good idea just to wait and see versus uh, maybe being proactive? Um, well, you know, I, I think it's got to be based on what your future cash flows uh, uh, look like. Uh, in uh, once you you know assume um, a reasonable return on a conservative basis uh, what your return business will look like and what cash flow that will generate um, and then comparing that to the, the debt load that you that uh, that you've inherited as a consequence of COVID um, uh, to see whether you know the, the, the future improvement in, in cash flow is going to be able to address uh, that historical COVID uh, debt load or not um, if it's not going to be able to address it within an appropriate period of time uh, you've, you know it's best to be proactive I think uh, in terms of uh, um, you know being able to present a plan to stakeholders about what you're going to do about that part of the historical debt load that you're not going to be able to address with uh, future trading. And I guess how long I mean let's say someone says to you look um, I can see there's a bit of a hole in the cash flow but I'm going to hang on 
Mm. Uh, and wait and see. I mean, how long do you reckon they've got? You know, we were talking before about when is the ATO mm. going to uh, yeah. sort of awake mm. from its slumber. Most yeah. speculation is mm. after the next election. You know, I think most of us would expect an election before the middle of next year. Uh, you know, yeah. is that wise just to sort of uh, try and see if you can make a fist of it before the next election? I think that's probably a bit too long in, in my view, um, certainly for a number of businesses that are going to come back online. Christmas trading is going to be uh, uh, pretty critical to what they look like uh, and also, you know, uh, if they are able to have a significant uptick in cash flow collections over a Christmas period, that'll give them more options. So, so maybe a wait and see for a number of businesses uh, through the Christmas trading period and then do a reassessment um, come, um, you know, late January, early February, uh, you know, uh, is, is probably, you know, a better time frame. Um, hanging out till the middle of next year, quite frankly, for uh, many SMEs with very thin balance sheets, uh, they're not going to last that long. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, as, as someone in restructuring, I guess you like them to have a little bit of, uh, you know, mm. something to work with, uh, otherwise yeah. it, it does get very mm. hard. Um, now, what about, uh, you know, what about, you know, when, when should someone just, you know, because as the support comes away, right, so a lot of people mm. are just staying open because mm. mm. they've got job uh, mm. job saver, it's an obligation there not to let any staff go while you're collecting the job saver. But, you know, under what circumstances should you just face face reality and just shut the doors? And, and I'm interested because I know you're a bankruptcy specialist mm. as well. Um, you know, if you're trying to save, mm. you know, save your skin, uh, you know, what, what what what's your advice there? Well, uh, you know, once you've done your, your forward projections on a cash flow basis uh, and compared that to, you know, what your, your – your debt load is and if you can't address that debt load and uh, all of that debt load and then it comes down to well, what are the attitude of those that have provided debt to you uh, I mean if you've got a uh, let's say an aggressive financier that's unwilling to work with you or a, a landlord uh, uh, that's significantly out of the money because you know uh, you haven't paid rent for significantly beyond um, you know, where the, the bond monies uh, provide protection to the landlord. If you've got aggressive uh, uh, creditors uh, and, uh, you know, you're uh, uh, unable to address uh, uh, all of that debt load, you know, um, you've got to you know, work through your, uh, your, your options in, in terms of a formal sense, um, both via the, uh, through the corporate entity, but then also if you've given in, obviously given any personal guarantees uh, in respect of, for example, to the landlord, you know, what that impact is on you personally. Yeah. Um, and do, do you think those decisions, do, do those questions change depending on what industries you're in? I mean, obviously retailers, hospitals, we had, I don't know if you saw a mm. couple of weeks ago, we had the transport, uh, we, we had the travel mm. uh, airline mm. and hotel um, yeah. And we, we had the chairman of, uh, of the Travel uh, Association. He, I asked him what was keeping him busy, actually. You'd be interested to know mm. if you weren't watching. And he <laughs> said uh, he was mainly, he's, every time his phone rang, there was one of his members, mainly travel agents, looking for insolvency advice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that, so, so, I mean, does, it, does, does, you, does your thinking change there with that decision to close, depending on what industry they're in? Um, I'll, I'll look, um, I... I think industry uh, is uh, is important, um, but also there's been some um, industries where you know this COVID period has provided a lot of opportunity, uh, particularly those in the 
IT uh, space and uh, and also the space where converting work-based uh, practices uh, into apps and and, uh, and uh, IT platforms. Um, they've they've really come on a uh, come on a pace. So so yeah, to contrast, uh, you know, your retail and hospitality. Uh, um, you know, industries and transport industries. You know, there are some some winners out of here as well, and there's obviously a lot of pl- players and industries that have uh, had some pluses and minuses. And then there's also also the um, you know the the general catch-all that you know um, there are a lot of you know or a reasonable number of uh, poor business decisions and poor, poor business practices that occur irrespective of what industry a business is in. Okay. Well, look. Uh, let's let's then talk about the. Uh, let, let's say someone does say, look. I regardless of the fact, you know, I, I can survive this, but mm. I'm going to really need. It's you know, now that the the money's mm. you know the government support's drying up, I really mm. need to change my business, either mm. formally or informally. Um, now, you know, there, as we've said, there's a lot of money around, and that you know that's mm. finding its way to business balance sheets as well, because mm. you know with fintechs and uh, mm. you know it's been very easy for all of them to look to load up on debt. Mm. Um, so, what are some of the considerations, you know, for these but for COVID viable businesses? Mm. Um, you know, what what what's your advice? You know, what are the things that you're looking for to see if they're? Firstly, let's talk about what what are the things that you're looking for. For them to be able to be salvageable informally, and what are some of the things you're looking for to, if they're salvageable formally? Um, well, uh, salvageable is the is the key term. Is it's whether you know the uh, whether there is a viable core business um, uh, uh, that is worth uh, that is worth saving. Uh, that's uh, uh, and uh, if that's the case, we'll uh, we'll then. You know that that brings in well. What are the options, formal or uh, informal? Uh, that's more driven. I think that decision point is more driven around what the attitude uh, is of the creditors uh, of the company. Um, you know, if if they're uh, substantial players, those creditors um, uh, that uh, really want to maintain market presence and want to work uh, work with you. Um, you know, the prospects of uh, informal arrangement. Uh, uh, meeting an informal arrangement uh, with a number of those players is is relatively good. Uh, however, um, if let's say you've got uh, you know a, a, a couple of large players that are supportive, but nonetheless a whole plethora of smaller players that are unsupportive, that nevertheless uh, you, you you need to bind them in in order to um, you know uh, uh, provide the clean sheet. You need to be able to move forward. Um, you know that would play into the hands more of a, a formal uh, restructure. Um, you know, and, and dusting off and utilising the tried and trusted uh, VA regime. Um, now, now we were talking earlier. Uh, I asked you what you were doing in 1991, and you said in yeah. 1991 that was when you quit the navy and uh, and went into business, um, uh, which was interesting timing uh, because you walked straight into the, the recession that we had to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you? Have you seen anything like it? Is there is do these do the circumstances we have now remind you in any way of any of the circumstances in the past, you know, twenty or thirty years? I mean, is there anything that you think back that you're able to fall back on? Like it's certainly different than the GFC. Uh, it's it no is the, is my answer. It's absolutely unique set of circumstances, and that's going to be it's a fascinating time. Uh, to be doing what we're doing, and uh, I'm really looking forward to 
uh, being part of the solution of helping people work their way through it. But uh, no, I, I've not been in this situation before. Um, now, I know that, uh, I don't know if this is under your purview necessarily, but I do know that DVT uh, has been strong, uh, may have even had a separate practice in mm. succession planning. Uh, I, I know that that's been a thing from time to yep. time, succession planning. Mm. And uh, I guess I one of the things that concerns me about small business um, is that what this what this whole pandemic has done? If you if you were you know maybe five years off retirement, you know your business is going really well. You've got a good cash flow, and your business is worth something because all the, all those metrics that make businesses valuable. But now you've just had a, a hole blown in the side of the thing, and your retirement plans may well be gone up in smoke. Um, so any special considerations? You know, thinking about you know in a corporate restructuring scenario. Um, you know, do, do those sort of two things interplay at all, the succession planning and, yeah. you know, retirement planning and restructuring? Uh, yeah, they do. Um, I, I've got to say in our, our conversations with our, our accountant clients that they're, they're, they're seeing for the first time in a long time a lot of uh, succession uh, planning activities uh, and implementing success, succession plans actually occurring right now. Um uh, you know, uh, whilst you know the downside of the uh, of COVID has been to you know, as you say, put a hole in the in the in the value of of businesses, which impact the outgoing generation. But on the flip side, makes it easier for the uh, for the new generation coming in that uh, you know uh, acquiring a piece of the business becomes affordable, um, and also that new generation coming through is going to have to have a lot of energy um, in terms of um, you know, uh, reinvigorating uh, a business that uh, or businesses that have stagnated during uh, during COVID. So, uh, certainly, the messages I'm getting from accountants is that this, it's uh, 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 COVID's been a bit of a catalyst for implementing uh, succession plans, particularly within uh, family groupings. Yeah, I mean that's very interesting. You talk about that. Uh, I mean, you, you sort of flippantly say it's a buying opportunity for the second generation. Uh, I mean, I've got a client at the moment who wants to buy the business off his father. Uh, you know, his father says it's worth three million dollars. I mean, I've looked at the financial statements. Uh, I reckon that's a pretty, uh, you know, that's almost it's well, it's beyond even uh, ASX multiples. Um, so I'm not sure. Sort of. Oh, I can understand. You know, the business does have assets in it, and I can understand. Uh, how you can sort of come to that conclusion, but there is uh, there, there does have to be a meeting of the minds as to what the business is actually worth. And you know, two years ago you might have thought it was worth X, and as you say today it's mm. it's worth X, you know, minus something. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So you know, I, I think it's it's providing a bit of a uh, a catalyst uh, for those discussions uh, uh, to happen, and uh, and it's more often the case, particularly in family groupings, that the new generation. Does require you know the continuing uh, at least consultancy advice of the the outgoing generation to maintain client relationships and 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 the like, um, but you know you couple that with uh, there being a, a surplus of uh, of debt and equity capital available to plug into these uh, situations. Uh, I, I think it's uh, you know resulted in a very active uh, M and A market in the SME space in particular. 
Well, that's the thing, of course. In the M&A space, I mean, if you've got a business that is still hitting its numbers, and plenty of businesses are still hitting their numbers, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, those businesses, I mean, it's never been a better time to sell. Because of the extremely low cost of capital, um, all of those pools of funds that have been welling up, as we demonstrated, uh, we short so the causes of some of those uh, fund pools, you know, some of those earlier slides, you know, super low interest rates, lots of money, um, you know, investment funds are, uh, don't know where to put their money. So it's a great time to sell if you've got uh, a good, solid, viable business that's hitting its numbers. Uh, but I guess it's a bit of the haves and have-nots. On the other hand, if you've got a business that's, you know, teetering on the edge, uh, you want to, you know, you want to sort of reclaim, you know, get, get back to square, as we say, to try and uh, put yourself uh, in the right position as soon as possible, I suppose, while, while that money's still around. Absolutely. I agree. All right. Well, look, Mark, uh, any sort of uh, final thoughts before we close? Oh, look, uh, I think uh, now's as good a time as any for uh, business proprietors, particularly in the SME space, to, uh, you know, um, make a projection into the future as to what their uh, businesses are, are looking like, have a focus on, on cash, um, see, uh, you know, whether you've got an insurmountable debt load or not, what are the attitude of those uh, those those creditors and if you uh, need uh, professional help you know uh, talk to your advisors your financiers um, you know to, to help you make the right decision to make the most of uh, the post-covid period okay well look uh, we will finish on that note so uh, thank you very much mark for coming along and joining us today it's been very good of you to come along i think as i said for our third visit um, you believe you're actually one of our most popular Yes, um, uh, you know, I've always you, you, you're sort of a, a, a quiet, unassuming guy. Although you're much loved in the industry, you're sort of one of the industry's uh, gentlemen, if I'm still allowed to use that phrase. So maybe it's uh, maybe that's no surprise. But thank you very, very much for uh, for coming along again. Again, uh, I, I will say um, uh, thank you very much to our viewers, uh, live and non-live. Uh, if you enjoyed this, then uh, please share, like, or subscribe on the platform that you're listening or viewing to now. Uh, I will say um, thanks for joining us, and uh, we hope that you can uh, make it again soon. Cheers.